glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, please. Verse 1, Galatians chapter 3. Now let's read this. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Thank you. you. may be seated. And again, we looked at this text a number of weeks ago and looked at the idea that the, foolish, the Galatians had a deficiency. They were deficient in wisdom. Paul calls them foolish. Um, I want to ask you this tonight. Why would the Apostle Paul, who was not Jesus Christ, he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, call people that he loved, call people he administered to, why would he call them foolish? They, they were. They had let someone deceive them. Something that the Lord has really reminded me of, I've talked to some of you about it, is it is, it is sinful, it is wrong to believe a lie, particularly when we have the truth. It is our responsibility to prove all things and to hold fast that which is good. It is the necessity of every Christian to be vigilant about Guarding what you believe. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart, your life flows from what's in your heart. And one of the things you do with your heart is you believe things. We need to guard what we believe. We need to guard who we believe. And so Paul says this tonight, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, O foolish Galatians, if you were a member of one of those Galatian churches and you read that, I'm assuming that wouldn't make you feel warm fuzzies. Oh, good to hear from Paul again. I don't think so. This is a reproof. It's a rebuke. You've been deceived. And so we talked about they were deficient in wisdom. Who hath bewitched you? They were deceived. And then they were disobedient that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. What I want to hone in on, though, is the statement where he says that ye should not obey the truth. He does not act like the truth. I hear so many, and this is where secular humanism comes in, so many people today say they are in pursuit of the truth. May I say this tonight? Truth is present tense. Truth is not something that is always fleeting and running from you that you pursue all your life and never find. That is a deceiver that tells you that. There are those today who would claim that if someone says they know what is true, don't trust them. I want to read you a quote from a well-known humanist. He said, humanists do not claim to know. We just ask you to be wary of those who claim to know. Humanists do not claim to know... We just ask you to be wary of those that claim to know. Who told them? What does their knowledge mean? Why should you trust them? Above all, don't take my word either. Don't take anybody's word for it. Find out for yourselves. So says a man named Stephen Fry. He's a humanist writer and he writes much on very clever doctrine. If you read what it has to say, they make morality their goal. But what they would say is no human being is either inherently good or evil. None. That we're all uh, basically on a journey for uh, truth and morality can be accomplished without a deity. Some of the statements I read coming from humanists. 
that morality is in a man, and what they're saying is humanists don't claim to know. We just ask you to be wary of those who claim to know me. If somebody says they know something's true, you doubt them. What I want to say is, do you know that I should do that or not? <laughs> should I take this guy's word? I mean, should I let him advise me? How does he know that you should be wary of people who claim to know? You with me? Anytime logic is self-defying, beware. <laughs> uh, but the fact of the matter is, this this idea of when someone says we're absolutely sure of what is true, you be wary of them. I'm going to tell you that is in our culture. Because at that point, you've, you've gone too far. And here's what I'm trying to say. Paul did not act like the truth was something the Galatians could not identify. When he said, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, they knew what he was talking about. They knew the truth he was referring to. In fact, in Galatians, already he had referred to repeatedly the truth of the gospel. He had talked about Peter not walking according to the truth of the gospel. He said, you know the truth. You know that your sin debt has been fully paid in the person of Jesus Christ. You know that he satisfied the demands of the law. You know that when he died, he said it is finished. You know that your faith in him makes you righteous. Why don't you believe that anymore? You were acting in such a way as to reveal you were confident that he had saved your soul. Now you're acting like you're trying to get saved again. As though your righteousness is not complete. As though you're not saved fully or completely. Who came along and convinced you to stop believing what you already know to be true? Now he was speaking specifically here of the truth of the gospel and of the way of salvation. But may I say we can apply this to any truth that God has revealed to us. By the way, all truth is revealed by God. All truth is revealed by God. God is light. Man is not light. Man is full of darkness. God is light. Who gave you eyes to see physical things so you can know what color that car is? God gave you that. Who gave you a mind that can process the distinction between sounds and sights and smells and to identify and say that's not what that is? God gave you that. All ability to discern anything that's true or false comes from God. That's a gift from God. And Satan is the opponent of truth. He is a murderer and a liar. And anything that's true, uh, false, uh, true, he will oppose with falsehood. And so I want to just see a few things. When Paul says, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, that you should not obey the truth, I want to see, again, three things about the truth here as it's mentioned. Number one, the characteristics of the truth, there's a few things that are inherently so about this statement. And number one is what I just said. Truth is declared by God. Paul had been sent by whom to the Galatians? To tell them the truth of Christ. Who sent him? The Holy Spirit of God. Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit of God, had sent he and his co-laborers to preach the truth. Meaning this, God is not trying to deceive anybody and hide the truth from them. I made that statement this morning. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Some people would say, for instance, this today. We are pursuing the truth about the origin of mankind. No, you're not. If you state that, you've already denied the truth. Every man knows there's a Creator. They can say they don't, but it's the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14, verse 1. It's the fool who's denied insurmountable evidence that there is a Creator. If you have to be told that the only reason there's any confusion about whether or not there's a creator is because of the people that are, are blowing lies through bullhorns. It is inherently in your DNA to know that you are a created being. God programmed that inside of the anatomy of humanity. 
He put the creation out there. It gave us eyes, ears, noses, skin, the senses to touch and feel and discern that there is a God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Night unto night uttereth speech and day unto day knowledge. There's not a creature on earth that has not been given the evidence of a creator God. So God has, God is the proclaimer of truth. It's God that decided to declare His existence the way He did. He has declared Himself. There's creation is the proclamation of the truth of God's existence. But not only that, Romans 1 deals with the conscience. God has put within our conscience the knowledge of His existence. I understand that's not the knowledge of the gospel, but may I say this. Every person has enough truth from God to respond to. Bible says, Romans 1, so that those who deny God will be without excuse. No one will stand before God and say, I didn't even know there was a God. No one. You know why? Everybody sees the same moon, sun, and stars, no matter where you are on planet Earth. The heavens declare the glory of God. The only way to explain the galaxies is a creator. The so-called scientists would say, oh, no, that's quite untrue. Pastor, you don't have a scientific mind. I say, you don't have a scientific mind if you deny there's a creator, there's order in our universe. And we go on and on. My point is this, in the beginning, God. God does not explain that he does exist. He assumes that we know. Therefore, the point is, truth number one is declared by God, whether it's the truth of creation, the truth of his existence in our conscience, the truth of the distinction between righteousness and unrighteousness that's in our conscience. The Bible talks about that in Romans 1 and Romans 2, that even the Gentiles, when they keep the law, they reveal that there's law written on their hearts, meaning God's put that in us. So the truth of God is declared in creation, it's declared in our conscience, it's declared in the canon of Scripture. So God has proclaimed truth in the heavens. God has persuaded of truth in our conscience. God has truth printed on the page. God has personified the truth in the person of Jesus Christ as he walked this earth and he left us a written record. God has given us a pilot to guide us into all truth. That's the Holy Spirit of God, the Comforter. The Bible says He will guide us into all truth. He's in the world to reprove of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And the Christian himself is the, is the evidence of the power of truth and thereby the preaching of truth. Don't tell me God has not given this world truth. When there are those today say, I'm just a pursuer of truth. They just probably lied. Generally, when someone says that, they say, because we don't know how we got here, we've got to pursue. No, no. The person says, we don't know how we got here, has already decided, I've rejected the truth I was given, now I'm going to pursue a lie. You with me? And the same is true when it comes to the gospel. The Galatians were not pursuing the truth about how to be saved. They already had it. Someone said, well, we just want the truth. We want to make sure we're believing the right thing. And these Judaizers came along saying, if we're not circumcised, we're not saved, we wouldn't want to believe a lie. Well, wait a minute. I thought you already believed the truth point here tonight is truth is declared by God. You know what the Galatians had been convinced of? What Paul preached was not Paul's message. They were convinced what Paul preached was God's message. And if what Paul preached to them was God's message, then what the Judaizers were preaching was not God's message. This is why we cannot have ecumenicism. Friend, you cannot be saved. You cannot be justified by water baptism and by faith in Jesus Christ. It's either faith in Jesus Christ or getting dunked under water that makes you righteous, but it's not both. The Bible says we are not justified by works. We are justified by faith. The Bible is expressly clear on that. And a faith that justified is demonstrated by works, 
But the truth of the matter is, both cannot be true at the same time. So when we're told, you know what, all Christians basically believe the same thing. We just need the, we just all need unity. When there are conflicting messages, you cannot. We must be loyal to the truth. So Paul says, you've heard that you know the truth. Who, should, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Is that abstract? I think what I'm trying to drive at is, when he says the truth, was it, what is he talking about? We don't know what Paul means. We, are they like Pilate? What is truth? <laughs> Tonight, if I said, have you asked, have you thanked the Lord today for your salvation? I'm going to keep using that illustration. You're like, eh, no. Why not? If it's true today, if the gospel's true, then the reality is Jesus Christ is the only one keeping you from a devil's hell. Should we not be thankful for that every day? Is it not sometimes we don't thank him because it's not really, we're not letting the truth of it resonate into our hearts? Uh, when we were in Mexico, Brother Harris reminded us many Christians don't really believe in hell like we say we do. How many of you believe when your neighbor dies, they are literally going to leave their body and go to hell if they die without Christ? Now, if we really believe that, would we have to have fiery messages trying to get us to give out one gospel track a week? No. But who hath bewitched us that we shouldn't obey the truth? Some have compassion making a difference, others with fear pulling them out of the fire. Why don't we? Somebody bewitched us. Somebody got us off course not thinking about the truth. Is the doctrine of hell true or false? It's true. Do we live like it's true? Is the gospel true? I mean, do we actually treat it like it's the best message ever given to mankind? If you want a million dollars, who would have to tell you to tell somebody? But tonight we are literally in communion with the God of heaven. He's answered our prayers today. And we can go seven days without making a peep about it. Why aren't we obeying the truth? That word obey is broad. It means to submit to and subject to. It means to yield to and it means to respond in, in obedience to or in, in, in accordance with. It means to, to convince or by analogy, to, to conciliate. So it has the idea of, of reconciling something. Our actions should be reconciling with the facts. What we do should be conciliatory with the facts that we hold. What had happened is the Galatians had been convinced this message concerning Jesus Christ is an absolute fact, which means he's coming again. How many of us tonight, we believe that if Christ came right now, within the next little bit, we'd be standing before the judgment seat. We believe that's true. But do we? Are we acting in a manner that says we know that's true? I remember a time when I thought, man, if the Lord came right now, I want to make sure that I'm not disappointing Him and displeasing Him. What happens at some point in time, we begin to doubt the truth of what we've actually been persuaded of in the past. Well, I know it's true, but... And here's how that happens. Someone comes along and bewitches. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the characteristics of truth, number one, truth is declared by God through creation, in the conscience, in the canon of Scripture, in the person of Jesus Christ, by the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and through the life of the Christian that belongs to the Lord. The Bible says we are epistles written of God, written of God, read of men. That's what our life is as a Christian. God has given ample evidence that there should be no doubt in the heart of a person who wants the truth to know that what God says is true, both about creation, about salvation, about 
everything he has to say. So truth is declared by God. Letter B, the characteristics of truth, it's definitive. Paul didn't say, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey my truth? (laughs) You with me? There is no such thing as my truth and your truth. There's not a Baptist truth and a Methodist truth and a Lutheran truth. There's truth and there's error. When it comes to physical things, if I told you tonight, don't you like these pink chairs? You don't need faith to know that I'm lying to you, right? All you need is two eyeballs at work, right? So that doesn't take faith to, to prove out physical truth. That just takes senses that work. But you know, there are things that we can't see with the human eye or hear the human ear and are revealed to us by the word of God. I cannot see heaven. I cannot feel heaven. I can't hear heaven. I don't need the account of people who died and went to heaven, though, to believe in it. God told us. Difference, the primary difference between humanism and Bible Christianity is humanism says you have to have physical proof. And if not, it doesn't, it's not a reality. The Bible says, and they said, you don't believe in anything supernatural or divine. You believe in what you can experience and experiment with in your own experiences. That's devilish. <laughs> uh, it's preparation for the Antichrist, I'll tell you that. Here's what I want to say. Truth is declared by God. Truth is definitive. Paul said, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Meaning there's only one message of salvation that's true. Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, saith unto him, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, or Philip, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One of the things that is unique about the gospel of Jesus Christ is its exclusivity. There's no other way. For there, uh, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh, what we believe is not a faith, it is the faith. What we believe is not a truth, it is the truth. It's not, and by the way, if, if it is true, every, I said this to men in jail the other night, because the Bible is true, everything that is outside the scope of what God says is false. That's what the Galatians had been convinced of. So when, you're, when you have somebody coming along to you and taking the Bible to say, well, you believe that faith in Christ alone is enough to save you, that's not right. If you don't couple your faith in Christ with an obedient life, you're not saved. Now, should we have an obedient life? But who of us got saved by an obedient life? Did you receive the Spirit of God because He said, you've been so obedient, I'm now going to give you the Holy Spirit? Or did you hear that Jesus Christ would save you if you'd put your trust in Him? That's going to be Paul's next question for the Galatians. Receive you the Spirit by faith or by the works of the law? Which way did you get it? Because of your performance or because of His promise? Well, it's still the, still the truth, isn't it? May I say this? Our county is filled with preachers of a false gospel. And it is incumbent upon you and I to stand firm and say, no, it is by faith in a person, and that person is not me. It's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's the only way of salvation. It is not a truth. It is the truth. And ecumenicism seeks to tear that down and say, no, no, it's everybody else's. It's everybody's own perspective of the truth. The truth is declared, and it's plain in Scripture, and so the truth is definitive. It is not, it's not open for debate. It is, it is definitive. The word, the, the word the is the definite article in our language, excluding everything else. Amen? 
And so when Paul said the truth, it was a definitive statement that the gospel is the truth, not Judaism, not some form of the gospel mixed with Judaism, but faith in Jesus Christ. Letter C, truth, because it is definitive, then is discernible. It is discernible. You've heard me, this has been coming through the preaching much in recent days, and I'm telling you, here's why. The number one false religion we're fighting against today is the concept of humanism. And that is, if you, me and Braden were having a conversation last night, and it's just relevant to what we're speaking of right now. Today, you know what it means to be judgmental? I'm going to help you. By most people, you made a judgment of absolute fact. Not you judged me as God. It wasn't that you set yourself up as God and said, I am more righteous than you, you answer to me. No, you said that if I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, that I'm not righteous, you judged me. No, that's a judgment. That's what God said. You said that if I'm living with a person, I'm not married to them, then I'm, a, I'm in sin. You judged me. No, I didn't. God, I made a judgment that God is right and you're wrong. <laughs> Amen? To make a judgment is what we're commanded to do. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment has nothing to do with the face attached. It has to do with what God says. And here's the fact of the matter. A truth is definitive and therefore truth is discernible. You have Christians, I mentioned this this morning, that act like, oh, how, you know, we're trying to find the will of God as though God has never spoken the truth about what His will is. No, 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 we have the truth. There are those that say, well, you can't know you're saved. Well, we can't if God didn't tell us how to be, but he did with absolute certain promise that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus because I believe in mine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you might be saved. There are so many that claim to be Christians that are so offended that anybody could know that they're saved. Does God lie? (laughs) We must understand God told the truth when he said for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only way you can't know if you're saved is if you can't trust God's word. You can trust God's word, you can know you're saved. Amen? So we roll forward. Truth is definitive, therefore truth is discernible. Meaning, Paul said, and just used the word, the truth, and he knew that the Galatians knew what he was talking about. It was discernible. They knew what he was talking about. We know tonight what he's talking about. Truth is discernible. Number Letter 4, letter D, under Roman numeral number 1. Truth is declared by God and those who serve him. Truth is definitive. Truth is discernible. Truth is divisive. The Lord Jesus said, think not that I'm come to bring peace, but a, a sword. Truth is divisive. Say, no, 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 it's, it's error that's divisive. You're, you're correct. I understand that. But a definitive statement of truth, you know what? You know what Paul's saying? He said, you've got people coming in among you, and they are bad because they're bewitching you. Who? He doesn't say broadly, how did you become bewitched? <laughs> he says, who hath bewitched you? Meaning, the message you are being given is definitively a lie because it is not consistent with the truth. Nothing offends our culture more than something like this tonight. That's a no-no. You can't do that. That means there are people... Pastor, you are assuming there are people out there trying to get people to believe lies. Yes. (laughs) 
And the Bible says evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so tonight, truth divides. May I say this? Our loyalty to people does not need to be greater than our loyalty to the truth. I've watched this all my life. I've watched more good Christians shipwreck over this one thing. Well, I believe this, but these people I love and are good people believe this. And I'm not willing to have our relationship broken over a difference of what we believe. Really? The Lord Jesus said we must. Well, Pastor, God wants us to love people, but we're to love Him first. And if I have to call God a liar to get along with another person, that's a problem. Fellowship must be based on truth. I'll say it again. It's a sad thing to me. I've watched good people shipwreck their Christian life over loyalty to people, over loyalty to truth. You know what Paul was willing to do? He said, am I become your enemy because I have told you the truth? He said, I am willing for you to count me as an enemy in order for me to be loyal to what is true. You and I, listen please, will never help people by supporting the lies they have believed. Never. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. May I ask something? If the Bible speaks definitively on an issue and it's clear, and we know what God says. And we have somebody in our life saying, but that's not what I believe. How do we handle that? Well, let's just pretend like we don't believe it for a little bit so we can get along. We used probably like not getting along. I love getting along with people. I wish there was never a conflict ever. But truth divides. It does. Truth divides because we all will either say, and here's why truth divides, because truth demands. Amen? Truth demands. We must act either in accordance with truth or in denial of truth. No matter what kind of truth we're talking about, we can use physical truth to illustrate this, but truth demands a response. Let me put it to you this way. I'm on a building top with somebody, and we're walking around, and I believe in the law of gravity, and they have become convinced that somehow that through mental purpose and prowess, they can overcome the law of gravity. And they say, you know what? Uh, I have been reading up that if you think hard enough and if you purpose in your will enough, that you can conquer the law of gravity. And I say, well, that's an interesting concept. <laughs> they say, well, let's do this. How about you and I, let's take a walk and I'll show you. Let's walk off the edge of the building together. I say, no, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. He said, well, you don't love me. I love you. That's why I'm not willing to do that. And I like living, so we're not going to do that. They said, well, I'm convinced that I can do this. So well, I'm not. They said, well, that's because you don't have the, the faith I have and so forth. Here's all I'm going to say. What we believe is going to determine what we do. Is it not? I'm not going to walk up that building because I'm convinced that gravity is a law and it's not going to be overcome that way. And if they're foolish enough to do that, Notice the word foolish. The Galatians have been foolish enough to start believing something that was absolutely a lie. And now they're all caught up in changing the way they're living. Instead of living for Christ, they're living for a bunch of false teachers and the demands of those false teachers. 
false teachers saying, you've got to prove to us you're really believers. And you do that by circumcising your children. And you do that by keeping the Sabbath. And you do that by going back under Jewish law because what Jesus did wasn't enough. You have to perform with him or it's not enough. And it was completely taking over them. Truth uh, is divisive and truth is demanding. We must either, we will all respond to truth. We'll either obey it or disobey it. But it demands a response. When you've heard, we'll just give you the gospel again. When you've heard that the only way for God to forgive your sins is by putting your personal trust in the living Son of God, you will either obey that or disobey it. Every time someone hears the gospel and they do not call out to Christ for salvation, they are disobeying the truth. They are disobeying the gospel. God has, has, through a preacher, through a friend, through someone who's proclaimed the gospel to them, shown them from the word of God, you are a sinner, you are not righteous, Jesus had to die to pay for your sins. Now they know the truth, and they will respond. They'll either obey unrighteousness and say, I don't accept that, and call God a liar. Or they will respond in truth and say, I must call on Christ because I know this is truth. But we all respond to truth once we are given it. And so then the characteristics of truth, it's declared by God, it's definitive, it's discernible, it's divisive, and it's demanding. Number two, the comprehension of truth. And we're just kind of progressing in this. Chapter 3 again, verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes, he's talking about the eyes of the Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you, Jesus Christ was plainly through the preaching of the gospel put in front of you so that there was no doubt through my preaching it was put on broad open display what Christ did for you. Why are you abandoning that truth for a system? Paul, I understand that the meaning of this word would be like someone advertising something on a billboard. Meaning, Galatians, it's not that you don't know the truth, it's that you are no longer acting in belief of the truth. It's not that you know that Christ satisfied your sin debt. It's not that you don't know that he's alive. It's not that you don't know he's coming again. You have been bewitched by believing something other than that. And so then the comprehension of the truth, here's what we want to know about the Galatians. They possessed the truth. Paul knew they had the truth. They had heard it from his own mouth. They possessed the truth. They had previously professed faith in the truth. And they had practically applied themselves to that truth. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 7. Galatians 5, verse 7, he said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Let me give this illustration doctrinally tonight, okay? Um, How many of us believe, and I know the answer to this in this room already, that when God says whosoever in John 3, 16, that's what he means. Now, if you believe this truth, that Jesus tasted death for every man, meaning... He fully paid the sin debt of every human that will ever live, ever has lived, and ever and is living. When God says in the book of Hebrews that he tasted death for every man, is that hard to understand? Let me give you a number of verses in succession. Revelation 22, verse 17. Whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that... Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. First Timothy 2, verse 3, I think it is, uh, that God would, uh, would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 3, 9, God, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If we believe those verses mean what they say, tell me how it affects our living as Christians. 
How does that affect the giving of the gospel? Are you going to go and say, well, I'm, I'm going to give that guy the gospel, but I'm not sure if he's one that God wants to save or not. Or are you going to say, I know God wants to save him because Christ died for him. I already know that. So then I could ask this question, why are so many who used to give the gospel have stopped? Because they're not convinced that whosoever means whosoever anymore. I want to tell you why somebody bewitched them. Say, whosoever means a selected few. And you know what's, what's bewitching? Calvinists take the Bible to prove their point. They don't just pull their intellect. They actually take Bible verses. I was reading Dr. Phillips tonight, and he said, some of the greatest seducers in this world and some of the most alluring seductions are the ones that use the Bible to prove lies are true. He referenced Adventism does the same thing to convince you. Don't you know that when the, the dead know nothing? They use that Bible verse. Don't you know the dead know nothing? When you die, you just go to sleep. Hmm. They take a verse out of context. I believe that's in the book of, of, of Ecclesiastes. The life under the sun is vanity. Right? But what about Luke 16? There was a dead man there that knew the flames of hell. Oh, not, Pastor, you don't understand. You're not a theologian. That's a parable. You with me? That's called being bewitched. If you know that people in hell feel the flames of hell, you know what that's going to do? It's going to cause you to obey that truth and say, I can't bear the thought of you burning in hell. I've got to tell you what Christ did for you. But so many won't do it because of some seducing doctrine. Something that's sealed up the mouth and say, well, if God wants them saved, He'll get them saved. What a bunch of seduction. So, Pastor, why do you preach against Calvinism? Because it is seduction. It has caused people who used to weep over sinners to say, I'm on visitation today on my fishing boat. I'm not worried about sinners. God's sovereign. Bewitched. Bewitched. You with midnight? You know what has killed? You know what has killed the fervor for evangelism in Baptist churches across this country? Southern Baptists used to turn the world upside down preaching the gospel. More than 35% of Southern Baptists are Calvinists today. And you know what's happened? We're going to have programs. We're going to have entertainment. We're going to build indoor play sets. We're going to go to the park. But we're not going to go after sinners because God's sovereign. See, it's not the way it works. It is the way it works. General Association of Regular Baptists used to be on fire for God. You know what killed them? Calvinism. Bewitchers. (laughs) There were people that were obeying the truth. People, you know what the early church did? They went out and preached the word everywhere. What happened? Somebody comes along and bewitched. You know what that word bewitched means? It means to hypnotize. It's the idea. I can't move because the person that's trying to destroy me has got me frozen in my tracks. May I say this? One of the burdens I have when I watch the lives of Christians, I mentioned it this morning, is not what are you doing, what are you not doing? What are you not doing now that you used to do for the Lord? What praise maybe, what thanksgiving was in your mouth that's not? What fervor for witness was there that's not? What step of obedience hasn't crossed your mind in a long time? It used to be a practice of life, but now is not. Because you knew the gospel was true, it motivated you to do certain things. What has frozen you in your tracks? That's what Paul's saying. And who? And who? I'll just say this. Be careful. Be careful the preachers you listen to. I wouldn't listen to John MacArthur preach. <gasps> That's a cardinal crime, what I just said. One of the most popular preachers in America today. I respect a lot about the man, but his Calvinism is bewitching. His teaching on the blood is false. I get in all kinds of trouble for saying this. I don't care. 
It's, it, it, it ruins people's Christianity. So, but I enjoy it. I understand. <laughs> I get it. I'll be honest with you. If I know somebody's a hyper-Calvinist, I won't spend five minutes. I, unless I'm trying to help somebody else, I'll do that. So what about this preacher? I want to be able to say and know what I'm talking about. But for my personal endeavors and personal bringing in, I don't want bewitched by Calvinist. I don't read Arthur Pink. I don't read him. I say, why? Because he's smarter than me, and I don't want bewitched by his Calvinism. My goodness, that's narrow. Truth is, I don't want hypnotized. I've watched what this stuff does. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And so tonight, we see the comprehension of truth. Do you know what? It wasn't that the Galatians were ignorant. Paul said, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? You know what the insinuation is? You've got the truth. It's just not affecting you anymore. It's not moving you. It's not affecting the obedience that was in your life is not there anymore. Have we stopped praying fervently for this person or that person? The point would be there was action that coupled with what they knew to be true about the gospel. And it had ceased. And so that deals with the comprehension of truth. They were not ignorant. They had the truth. They had traded the truth for a lie. And so thirdly, we find, of course, insinuating this is there is a conflict, excuse me, with the truth. We see the characteristics of truth plainly declared by God, definitive. It's not a truth. It's the truth. Discernible. They knew what Paul was talking about. Uh, Divisive. uh, Demanding. Truth is either to be obeyed or disobeyed. They had the truth, they possessed it, had professed it, and had practically applied it in the time past, but were no longer doing that. And so then that tells us there had been conflict. When the truth was being obeyed and now it's not, Paul knew somebody was involved. Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? How did Paul, what was Paul's telltale sign that the Galatians were bewitched? They stopped obeying. Now, again, please don't miss me tonight. This is, this is from our Lord, I'm certain. Was Paul saying, who hath bewitched you that you should be committing such lewd acts in your life? Was he reproving them for what they were doing or what they were not doing? You ever watched a Christian on fire for the Lord go cold? You ever watched a Christian asking other Christians, would you please pray for me to be faithful? Would you please, would you please uh, help me serve the Lord? I want to be obedient uh, to God. I want to be right with my authorities. Would you pray for me to be the witness on the job I should be? And then all of a sudden, would you, would you please encourage me uh, to be in church like I should? And you watch a Christian go cold. And all of a sudden, they're not concerned about the gospel going to others. All of a sudden, they're not concerned about whether or not they're doing right, living a holy life. Somebody bewitched you. I'm going to tell you, there are many influences in this world. The Bible says there's many voices in this world, none of them without signification. And one of the most subtle forms of disobedience is not what we do that's wrong, but the right that we will not do. So Paul is dealing with not with what the Galatians were doing, it's what they used to be doing that they weren't doing anymore. He said, you were obeying the truth. What? Who happened? Who bewitched you? And so then, there's conflict with the truth. Notice, number one, under that, the subtlety of the conflict, and we've dealt with this before. Bewitching is subtle. It's not like the false teachers came in and said, look, we don't like the fact that you're acting like Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation, that he saves to the uttermost, and that you are assured that you're righteous by faith in him. We don't like that, so we're going to convince you that that's not true. No, they got their attention. They enamored them with something that was intriguing. Again, bewitched is the idea of being hypnotized. What 
doctrine that doesn't quite jive with what you already know to be true intrigues you. Hmm. I'll just say this. I've, I've, I've ripped on Calvinism tonight. It's intriguing. Why is it intriguing? Because most of the people that hold it are extremely intelligent people. Problem is they know that. It is, it is very appealing to pride, very appealing to the flesh, because once I embrace it, I don't need to feel the burden of making a difference in the lives of others for sure. And you say, now that's not fair. There's Calvinists who witness. They're the exception, not the rule. Amen? And many times it's just to say, well, we have the Great Commission. God knows who will save and who he won't. We're just going to go mechanically out and do it, and we'll trust that if he wants them saved, he'll save them. If not, not. And that's still in line with the, with the word of God. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But you say, I'll say this. It's an intriguing doctrine. I'll say on the other side, Arminianism is an intriguing doctrine. It sounds noble. We don't want to have a faith that doesn't work now, do we? I mean, we don't, we don't want to believe that, do we? And, but, and, may I say this? Humanism is intriguing. <laughs> Very intriguing to say, well, wait a minute. Here's people that don't believe in God, but they are concerned about treating their neighbors right. Isn't that neat? Wicked. You know, for years and years, Walt Disney preached secular humanism through his films. You can be moral without God. You don't have to have God. You don't have Jesus Christ. It's in you. It's in the world. People want to be moral. Don't you know that? Wouldn't that be a nice thing if people wanted to be moral? Well, then I ain't a people because that's not what I want naturally. God had to save me to get me there. Same with you. My point is this tonight. As we go along, there are false doctrines that will grab Scripture. I'm going to be honest with you. I might sleep better if I really believe once you die, you just go to sleep and don't suffer in the flames of hell. The doctrine of hell bugs me. gnaws on me. You know what bugs me? That I don't have more concern for people I know are going there. But wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to worry about them? Just, no, I'm just going to sleep in the ground anyway. It might be nice. It might be intriguing. But it's a lie, and it'll get me to stop obeying the truth. You with me tonight? Deception is subtle. It's subtle. No one's going to walk up to you and say, you know what? You believe in Christ and Him alone. Let me talk you out of that. No, no, they're going to say, have you ever considered that the Bible says this over here? I mean, what about this verse? And it's inevitable. They'll pick that verse and not give you the context around it. Friends, we've got to be students of our Bible, know the Word of God, and let the Spirit of God teach us so that we can discern a lie because... Bewitching carries the idea this was a very subtle attack that had hypnotized these people. They were so focused on what the Judaizers were teaching, they had forgotten the gospel that they knew to be true and were no longer applying it. The Bible says, Paul warned the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11 that he feared that as, as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtleness, so the Corinthians would be beguiled from the simplicity that is in Christ, meaning it's faith in him alone for salvation, for sanctification, for power, for strength. Our salvation is a person, and I'm glad for it tonight. Amen? The subtlety of the conflict, but number two, here's the sad part. There was success in the conflict. Paul didn't say, who is bewitching you? What did he say? Who hath bewitched you? You might be sitting here tonight saying, how can I know if I'm bewitched? Was there a time that the truth was stirring obedience in your life that ceased? What talked you out of your Christian responsibility because you knew Christ alone had saved you? What, ta- what would it be that in my life there was a time the truth of the gospel spurred this obedience, but not anymore? 
almost without fail, what will happen is you got people that get saved. When they first get saved, they go, man, I need to clean my life up. I was a wretched sinner living by my lust, but now that I'm saved, I'm a child of God. I don't think God's pleased with me watching that or listening to that or going there. And then they meet somebody that claims to be a Christian that's doing all the things they've been convinced of the Lord they shouldn't do anymore. And that Christian says, you don't understand grace, brother. Hey, you don't understand grace. You can do what you're saved by grace, not by works. You can do all that. And all of a sudden their sanctification goes. Somebody bewitched them. Amen. I won't belabor this any further. But there may be tonight, the Spirit of God may be bringing something to your mind that says, you know what? You stopped obeying the truth after you read that book. After you started following that author, you lost your interest in the things of God. After you started listening to that music, after you started watching that show, after you started listening to that friend, after you started consorting with that person, all of a sudden your fervor for living for Christ died. And you started being intrigued with, well, what if that's true? What if it, what if it is true that there's no hell? <gasps> I wouldn't entertain that for not half a second. God's word's too clear. So I can't go to the application part of this because I can't see into your hearts. But I do know the Lord's given the message tonight. And perhaps there's been a point where you say, you know, there's a time I was obeying the Lord. But somebody came along, some influence in my life, and the Spirit of God's bringing it to my mind tonight. Maybe what he's saying is it's time to get back to obeying the truth again. And so who has bewitched you? Paul asked that question for a reason because he wanted the Galatians to identify and cut those people off. That's the term he'll use. You need to cut those influences off so you can get back to being influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ instead of being influenced by false teachers.